Welcome to the Proclaim and Defend podcast, a ministry of the Foundations Baptist Fellowship International. We seek to encourage and inform pastors on modern-day topics from a biblical perspective. Our mission is to bring together like-minded Baptists to collaborate in glorifying God through fulfilling the Great Commission. Greetings, everyone. It's Don Johnson with the Proclaim and Defend podcast. Today we are once again offering one of our recordings from our summer sessions at uh, Faith Baptist Bible College in Ankeny, Iowa. Uh, this one comes from one of our workshop sessions. Now we, we are in a bit of a quandary. We debated about some of these sessions because there was something went, <laughs> that went wrong with the recording, uh, partway through. There's two spots where there's a noticeable gap in the recording. Some reason the mic seemed to shut off and turn back on again. We don't know what happened. So <clears throat> there was a long space, several seconds, very noticeable of dead air. So, which is a very bad form when you're doing a recording. And we debated whether we should even put these out. Uh, so, uh, what we decided to do was to cut out the dead air and just splice it together. And you will notice the speaker will go on and he'll, he'll stop abruptly and then a couple seconds and then he'll pick up again. So we do apologize for that, but we think the material is well worth your attention. So we decided that we would go ahead and send it out uh, in the form that it is. We can't obviously recover uh, things that weren't recorded, but the bulk of it, I mean, we're talking about a 45, 50 minute presentation. Uh, the bulk of it is there, and you will get the benefit of hearing it. And if you get an opportunity to hear these speakers in another location, we would really encourage you to do so. So that's that's just the the disclaimer before we enter into this uh, into this recording today. So I wanted to mention that because you'll say, "What? Why are they putting this out?" Or maybe maybe you won't. Maybe you'll like it so well, you'll, you won't even bother you. Uh, the other thing uh, we want to remind you is that if you will subscribe uh, to our podcast, uh, the paying subscriptions, when we do an interview with a frontline author, you will be able to read their article immediately on our Substack uh, uh, site. And also, if you will subscribe annually, which we would prefer you do, you'll get a bit of a discount on the cost, and you will uh, also get the print magazine sent to you in the mail. So we hope that you find today's presentation helpful, and uh, we're planning to bring others uh, in the coming weeks. And uh, we, as I say, uh, uh, just bear with us on these uh, glitches, and uh, that we do pray that the Lord will, will bless you through the teaching that is available through this means, regardless of these technical problems. Seth, thank you very much. Um, Hang on to that card that you just got uh, because we'll we'll be talking about that. Uh, my name is Jeff. Um, the only time I ever get called Dr. Musgrave is when I come to an FBF meeting. I, I mean, nev- never anywhere else. Uh, I'm I'm just Jeff. Uh, the Exchange is a uh, ministry of relational evangelism and discipleship training and uh, this has become kind of the classic what we call exchange chart and um, the name of the ministry comes from this chart you can see the verse down there for God made Jesus to become sin for us 
who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So literally what the Bible teaches us is this is a picture of of what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. This is a record of my sin. Uh, I always ask my friend before I show this to him, would it be all right with you if I wrote your name in that blank? Now, that's just representative of your sin record. You may not have had all of those things. I have. Uh, And this is a record of Jesus' righteous record. He is holy. He is just because he is God. He's accepted by God. And he's free to have a relationship with God. And if you could imagine uh, um, taking this verse, God made Jesus to be sin for us, and crossing out your name and writing Jesus above it. That's the reality of what Jesus Christ did for us. And then the Bible goes on to say that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Go over here and cross out Jesus' name and write our own. That when God looks at me... When he looks at you as someone who's trusted Jesus, he no longer sees your sinful, earned record, but he sees the righteous record of the Lord Jesus Christ, the gift of of the Lord Jesus Christ that he gives to us. I have watched so many people, the light bulbs go on as they recognize that's it. That's what he did. That's why he died. I'm afraid so many times when we tell people uh, Jesus loves you and he died for you that they, they literally have no idea what we're talking about. When we say relational evangelism, I know there's a lot of terms out there, friendship evangelism, lifestyle evangelism. I'm not opposed to any of them. I'm just telling you, if it's evangelism, I'm glad they're doing it, literally. But when we say relational evangelism, what we mean by that is that most people need more than one touch with the gospel. Let me just ask this question. How many of you got saved the very first time you heard the gospel? Let me see your hands. Very good. John, is. I always have some. Uh, uh, because, praise the Lord, the gospel is powerful and it impacts people. Uh, um, come right on in. We'd love to have you. Um, Mine was um, a vacation Bible school, and I heard it one day, and I heard it again the second day, and the third day. Yeah, it, 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 that is a beautiful example of what we mean, because what she needed was to be reengaged with the gospel a, a, a couple of times. Uh, it, I've heard it said that the average Muslim needs 54 touches with the gospel before they trust Christ. I have no idea if that's accurate or not, but I do know this. Most people need more than one touch with the gospel. Uh, when we say relational evangelism, what we mean is that we're going to form a relationship with that person in which they know that we care for them. They enjoy spending time with us. And I love this thought. Relational evangelism is literally bringing Jesus up close and personal to to them. Where does Jesus live today besides in heaven? (laughs) The Spirit of Christ lives in every single human. And the Bible tells us that when we know him affect intimately... He allows us to show him effectively. I love this concept. This is not just about telling people about Jesus. It is literally showing them who he is through our lives. I love the word manifest. Follow the word manifest through uh, the the uh, uh, 
book of 2 Corinthians, specifically beginning with chapter 2, going through chapter 7. It's used multiple times there. And Paul giving us all kinds of illustrations how we are to be showing the world who Jesus is. And then from this relationship of having us personally known Jesus and shown him, we have the ability to speak him boldly into people's lives. Come on in if you'd like to. We'd love to have you. Um, I, I kind of uh, tease a little bit. I, I hated book reports when I was in uh, school. You know, you have to read a book and then stand up and tell people about it. But I loved show and tell because I'd always bring my dog, you know. And it's, it's a totally different experience because I've now got my dog with me and I'm talking about my dog. And I love this because this is not just about us talking about Jesus. This is about us showing him and then speaking him boldly into people's lives. We try to teach people that we need to be living intentionally, every single thing. And so we like to think of redemptive relationships, spending time with people specifically so that we can share the gospel with them. But I am convinced that we have to start thinking strategically as well. I believe everybody in here would spend an hour, a couple hours. If someone were to walk up to you and say, would you please tell me how to go to heaven? I believe everybody in here has the ability to do that. The problem is we don't have very many people walking up and asking us, would you show me how to get to heaven? And so the idea of thinking strategically is how do I live my life in such a way that I can get close to people who need Jesus and tell them about him? So that's the idea of relational evangelism. Here is kind of our uh, uh, core thoughts, and that is more time with more truth versus brief encounters with a brief gospel. I'm, I'm concerned that there are two things that happen with brief encounters with a brief gospel. Number one, we tend to reach shallow people. But number two, I'm afraid that a lot of people begin to develop the mindset that says that the gospel just doesn't work anymore. It's not penetrating people's hearts and lives. But when we spend more time and give them more truth, then they have the ability. And uh, I, I, I uh, have a really, really good friend named Carlton. When I met Carlton, uh, uh, we spent the first time we sat down and talked together three hours and he kept telling me over and over and over, there is no God. God is a figment of weak men's imagination. I, I told him, well, here's what the Bible says about that. And his answer was, I don't believe the Bible. So how do you reach a person like that? And uh, I asked Carlton, uh, I said, well, Carlton, let me ask you a question. What would you say the main theme of the Bible is? And Carlton didn't really know. And I said, don't you think it's a little intellectually dishonest to say you don't believe it? Now, this was, by the way, not a sarcastic conversation. We were enjoying each other. It was fun. He, he was, I, I really think he, I'll, I'll tell you the rest of the story in a little bit, but I know he was enjoying it as well. I know he was. So having said that, he acknowledged that is a little dis, dishonest. And so uh, he uh, agreed. I said, I have this four-lesson Bible study. <laughs> I would love to do that with you. I think you'd enjoy it. I said, at least you'll know what the Bible teaches when we get done with that. And uh, he began to study the Bible with me. Before we finished lesson three, he told me, I don't, I don't need to study anymore. I know it's true. 
I want to make that exchange you told me about. Now, that would have never happened with a brief encounter with a brief gospel. But because we entered into his life and began to have conversations, I, I interviewed Carlton. He's been saved about 15 years now. I interviewed him uh, um, a, a couple of uh, years ago. And uh, I was asking him, why is it a good thing to study uh, the gospel through a Bible study as opposed to just being told? And I was expecting him to say, you know, it, it impacted me because I understood it more. But but he got teary. And Carlton is not a emotional guy. He got teary. He had tears in his eyes. And, and he looked at me because I, I was interviewing him off camera. And, uh, and, and he said, the happiest 15 hours of my life were the 15 hours in which I studied the exchange with Jeff Musgrave. And uh, super, super sweet to watch. You talk about getting close to people uh, because you're talking about some of the most intimate moments of life. And so we use two tools to be able to help lay people uh, um learn how to share their faith with other people. The, the first tool, and probably the one you're most familiar with, is the Exchange Bible Studies. Four lessons. It's designed to introduce a person to who God is. We like to think of it as inductive. It's designed to let your friend discover the truths. This is not about you teaching them. It's about them reading a, a question, reading a Bible verse, and extracting the truth out of that Bible verse for themselves. And uh, I, I love it. You know, you think about it. When you're telling someone about judgment, if you're giving a brief gospel, you're probably not going to read to them the the section in Revelation that deals with uh, the great white throne uh, of judgment. But in a Bible study, you expect to read those sort of things. So they're reading this and they're recognizing the weight of this scripture touching on their hearts. We've also developed another tool we call the Exchange Gospel Presentation. It's designed to take those same four truths and put them down into a gospel presentation, a one-time conversation. I tell people I can give the gospel thorough in 20 minutes. But if it takes me an hour and it's back and forth a conversation, it's much better. And so that's what we try to help people with. You're, you may be familiar with this, but this is basic truth that we teach in our exchange uh, um, seminars and in exchange Bible study and exchange uh, gospel presentation. God is holy. He can't tolerate any sin. And the idea is that the law is not just a list of rules, and if you break them, you're out, but that every one of these rules are a reflection of God's invisible nature and the real essence of sin is not that I broke the rule but I offended the rule giver so the, the essence of sin is that I have offended a holy God now do you see how relational that is it helps a person recognize my relationship with God is in trouble most people wonder if there's a real God because he seems so distant from them they don't understand a reason for that but when they understand that God made me to have a close relationship with him my sin has separated me from him maybe that explains some of the emptiness and loneliness that I experience in my life uh, the Bible also teaches us that God is just. And in his justice, he cannot overlook our sins. Now we're building on top of that first premise. So the first premise is about relational alienation. The second premise now is about condemnation. I am condemned because of my own sin. Uh, we like to call this a good news, bad news verse. 
The good news is that God made this everlasting fire for the devil and his angels. He doesn't want people to go there. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The bad news is some people, those on his left hand, have to go there. If I were you, I'd want to know who those people are. This gives us a list of eight different kinds of people that find themselves going to this place of fire. And then, obviously, God is loving. This is actually the good news. That other is the bad news. We just People have to understand it so that they can understand the good news. And so we always stop and ask them, who would you say Jesus is? Helping them to get an understanding that Jesus is uniquely qualified to be able to meet their need. And then we show them the exchange chart, help them understand how that is a finished work that Jesus Christ accomplished for them. And then, of course, pretty easy to help them understand that this is a gift that is received by faith because Jesus did all of the work and then helping them to understand that. We put all of these truths into an app, and our app, uh, um, we uh, enjoy. I don't know whether you're like this or not, but I don't always have a gospel track with me, but I always have my phone with me. And uh, and so uh, I feel like we've got the tool uh, that is right there in our hands. When we develop tools for the exchange, we are not trying to come up with tools that would replace the disciple maker, we're, we're developing tools that will, will help the disciple maker be able to uh, uh, introduce his friend to Jesus. Uh, this uh, is just kind of what you'll see when you first open up the app. Um, you can recognize there, this is my phone by the way, and my I don't know why, but my clicker is not working right now. Uh, um, the uh, uh, the first thing you're going to see is some welcome screens telling people what they're going to read and making them want to read it. it. There's an opportunity there at the very beginning to personalize the app so that now the app is speaking directly to them. Um, the app uh, has the same two primary tools that the exchange uses for evangelism. The first is a uh, gospel presentation. This is both a digital gospel track that a person can read on their own or it can be shortened by touching the little icon in the right-hand corner uh, uh, and um, use it for a presentation tool to be able to give the gospel to someone. And you can see you can kind of navigate your way through and uh, explain to people. It ha- actually, every single one of these Bible verses has a more slide-out tray so that as you need more verses on that particular section, this is dealing with the uh, uh, deity of Christ, and certainly many people need that. Yes, sir? Do you have it in Spanish? It is in Spanish, and I should have uh, mentioned that to you. Uh, on that first screen, uh, it, it says uh, English, and then just in light, it says uh, Espanol, and then in those slide out trays you can also switch it up there at the top of the slide out tray so you can choose uh, ESV KJV or now Spanish it's, it actually says ESP because uh, we didn't want to write the whole Espanol out uh, so we just came up with a new translation ESP um, and and uh, uh, pretty excited uh, about uh, um, the languages we are uh, wanting today to offer to you uh, the opportunity to be able to use uh, 
You'll fill out that card that you got on your way in. If you didn't get a card, uh, make sure you see Seth and he'll get you one of those. Uh, just get that back to me uh, when you're done. Uh, make sure you mark on there which one you would like. Uh, uh, we are super excited that this summer uh, uh, the app is going to be available in Chinese. Uh, so we uh, have been working on this for some time, and uh, um, it's it's completely finished. It's just a huge task uh, to to get the stuff from uh, uh, writing. Uh, into uh, the code that it takes to be able to do all of that. The interesting thing about to keep them from evangelism and discipleship. Things like, I don't know how to get into a gospel conversation, or I'm afraid that I'll do it wrong, or leave out something important, or it just doesn't seem like people are interested. Many find their attempts ineffective or unproductive. We often struggle with the guilt of realizing I just missed another opportunity. The Exchange Online will give you solutions to these and many other obstacles. I think you'll find the training to be very practical and thoroughly biblical. We'll give you tools that make talking to your unbelieving friends a lot easier and training to use those tools effectively. Almost everything we do in our spiritual life will do better in heaven. We'll sing better in heaven, we'll fellowship better in heaven, we'll probably even preach better in heaven. But the one thing we can't do in heaven is lead another person to Jesus. We only have this lifetime. Don't waste another day feeling inadequate. God gave you new life in Jesus and he wants to use you to touch others for Jesus. The Exchange Online can give you the confidence that you need to share your faith both relationally and effectively. So our website is exchangemessage.org. We just are developing, just finished developing an online course. Uh, if you uh, go to exchangemessage.org uh, um, slash uh, exchange online, uh, you'll be able to see about our uh, new online course. And uh, it takes all the training we do in a regular seminar in a church and puts it into an online format. Um, so the title of our session today is Creating Pathways into the Church, and I wanted uh, to create a graphic that kind of helped you see the heart of the exchange, and I personally believe that every pathway into the church needs to involve a relationship with someone in your church. That, that the, the idea here is that that is really the tool that God uses over and over. You heard this morning in the session that the average person comes to church because somebody in that church invited them to come. So I wanted to start with some biblical pictures of what that looks like, relational evangelism, and then some multiple ideas. Uh, Anna's going to come and give us a couple of stories, and then I've got some videos from some exchange-trained uh, pastors and how they're using the exchange to, to build pathways into their church, and then some practical relational tools if we have time for that at the end. You know how you always stick more in a session like this uh, than you have time for. So we'll, we'll see what we have time for. Uh, starting with uh, uh, these biblical pictures, if you turn to John chapter 1, 
John chapter 1, towards the end of the chapter, John has made... You can come on in if you'd like to, Skip. Uh, uh, John has made his uh, Christ claims in the prologue here, and then uh, he uh, tells us about Jesus, and then he actually introduces Jesus through John the Baptist. Two of John the Baptist's disciples come and ask Jesus. These are the first red letters in the book of John. This is the first conversation that Jesus has And uh, the disciples asked him, Master, where are you staying? And Jesus said, well, if you go to the butcher shop and turn left to get to the carpenter shop and go to the end of that street, that's where I'm staying. Is that what Jesus said to them? No. No. What did he say? Come and see. Do you see how relational that is? I mean, this is not just about giving them information. It's literally about come with me, let me show you. Uh, If someone comes into your church, if you're... uh, um, Lay people come and greet them and make them feel loved. That, that's awesome. And maybe they see that they have little kids in their arms and they say, hey, we have a nursery. And they give them the information about the nursery. That's, that's great. But it's even better if they say, hey, come with me and I'll show you to the nursery. And even better if they say, hey, why don't you come sit with us and our family today? And even better if they say, hey, uh, we're going to go out to eat afterwards. Would you like to go with me? And do you see how that relationship deepens the ability to be able to minister to and help them? It is interesting that just six verses later, Philip, one of the earliest disciples, finds his friend Nathaniel, wants to tell him about Jesus. And, of course, you remember Nathaniel's response. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? I mean, he's totally disinterested, totally uh, uh, kind of almost put off by this uh, uh, Jesus. And uh, I love what Philip did. He pulled out his apologetics book. And, and, he, and he showed him, look, there are 15. He was really born in Bethlehem. He fulfilled 15 Old Testament prophecies. I mean, is, is that what he did? No. What did he say to him? Come and see. Now, where do you number number one? Where do you think he learned that? And this is Jeff's uh, uh, opinion, and that is that you and I need to be able to give the gospel in the same way we train other people to give the gospel. So, giving the gospel ought to be reproducible. And I'm not saying the exchange is the only way to do that, but it is a way to do that. And uh, I believe that you ought to be able to train your people in the same way that you're giving the gospel so they can feel comfortable with that. And I believe Jesus was doing that. Jesus uses that phrase, come and see, and now we see his disciples using the same phrase. I just think that's very interesting. Interesting. Um, but secondly, this is what I believe Philip is actually saying. Look, come meet him for yourself. Because if you know Jesus like I know Jesus, you're going to love him as much as I do. And I, that is my picture of evangelism. It's me putting my arm around my friend and introducing them to my best friend. Uh, I like to think of it this way. It's not about a plan of salvation. It's about a person of salvation. We are introducing them to our best friend, Jesus, who has literally changed our lives. Another picture of evangelism we see in the Bible that helps me recognize this concept is Matthew 22. Jesus has just been rejected in Matthew 21 by the Jews. That's kind of the final rejection. Chapter 22, Jesus begins to tell a story, uh, and uh, he is literally helping his disciples see the dispensational shift they're just about ready to go through. 
And so we're at the end of the Old Testament going into the New Testament. We're at the end of the age of law going into the age of grace, the church age. In the Old Testament, God worked primarily through the Jewish people. In the New Testament, he's throwing those doors wide open. And Jesus preparing his disciples for that. And he tells them a story about a man who gave a wedding feast for his friends or for his son, excuse me, invited several of his friends to come. All of them, one by one, said no. He still wanted guests for the wedding feast, and so he told his, uh, his uh, uh, servants, I want you to go out into the highways, and I want you to find people, and I want you to invite them to the wedding feast. And one by one, they went out and asked, and people came in, and the wedding feast was full. Now, you and I see a perfect parallel. You can take that picture and paint it right on top of this dispensational shift. God worked in the world primarily through the Jewish people. Now he is throwing the doors wide open, inviting everybody. So where do you see yourself in that story? I actually see myself twice. I was out in the highways, and someone invited me to come in. But now I'm one of those servants, and my job is to go and to find and invite. I love these words because these words help me identify my role in evangelism. And I like to think of it this way. Um, you're going to meet a lot of unbelievers at church. It's going to happen, but, but not enough for, for us. And so if we're going to reach our world, we have to go to them. Literally what that means is uh, um, not just going from the building. It means that I've, I've got to stop hanging around with this group of people and start hanging around with that group of people. I mean, literally what the Bible says is we have to go to them. We have to find them. And the word find is just to help us identify the people who need the gospel around us. We try Every seminar we go to, we ask people to start living by what we call a find five list. Developing a list of five people around you. Our, our list has grown a little bigger than five now. Uh, identifying people in your sphere of influence who need the gospel and helping you to begin to identify those people, pray for those people, specifically, purposely, strategically, strengthen those relationships so that you can invite them to come and see Jesus. That's really the idea here. I love this word invite because it takes a lot of pressure off of me. It doesn't say win. It doesn't say convince. It says invite. I love that. I love that. Sometimes I'm afraid we have turned soul winning into sales. And and I, I love this. My job is to go find people and invite them. Is there a real wedding feast we're inviting these people to? Yeah. So literally what we're doing is our little 10-year-old granddaughter took our course. And uh, she was talking to her grandmother about it later, and she said, Hey, Grandma, I saved my neighbor. And, you know, it, it, Anna decided it was probably not the best time to tell her, No, honey, you didn't save her. Jesus. But she just wisely said, That's awesome, honey. Tell me what happened. And she said, Well, I told my friend, You know, if you don't know Jesus, you, you can't go to heaven. But if you take Jesus as your Savior... You and I can be friends forever in heaven. <laughs> and, and I'm just telling you, friends, that's what evangelism is, literally inviting people to go to heaven with you. That, that's, I mean, obviously, we have to tell them the truth about Jesus, but this is good news. This is exciting stuff. And just inviting people to go to heaven with us. And, and I, 
prior hours, I think this takes pressure off me. I'm not selling them. By the way, that's the Holy Spirit's job. He's the one who convinces them. He promises he would. But I also believe, and we heard this this morning as well, we're not done with our gospel witness until we've given an invitation. This is not just about dispensing information. This is about inviting people to go to heaven with us and, and, and giving them that information. Wouldn't you want to trust Jesus right now? Last one that I'd like to share with you. This is not the last thing in the seminar. It's the last of these biblical pictures. Um, this is a great story. You ought to go back and read it again. Acts chapter 11 is the first church plant in heathen territory. We know that the... Uh, uh, Christians in Jerusalem were being dispersed. Some of them traveled as far as Antioch, where they were first called Christians. And some of those were Grecian Jews. And they found other Greeks, and they began to have conversations with them. And they invited them uh, uh, to uh, trust Jesus. I just think this is really interesting, because in this passage, you're going to find four verbs of communication. Two relational bridges. The first relational bridge is conversation into evangelism. Let me ask you this question. This is, uh, what day is today? Today is Tuesday. So uh, from last Wednesday to today, this may not be a good thing to ask a group of preachers. How many of you got a chance to preach this last week? Let me ask, let me see your hands. Okay, so several of you, including giving the gospel. How many of you had a chance to, to give or to, to have a conversation, any conversation with somebody this week? Yeah, and, and this is the point. We have a lot more conversation opportunities than we do preaching opportunities. You go around looking for preaching opportunities, you may not find very many. But if you go around looking for conversation opportunities, you're going to find them everywhere. And what, what I believe God wants us to do is utilize those conversations as a bridge into the gospel. We'll talk about how to do that with some relational tools at the end of our session. It's interesting because there are two more verbs of communication in this passage. Um, they are uh, translated in our uh, KJV, exhorted and taught. And I think this is really interesting uh, because uh, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but sometimes we find ourselves seeing people saved, but it's, we can't quite get them into church. So I like to think of this as, as church. The word didasco here is the Greek word that, that we get our English word didactic from. And the idea is that line upon line, precept upon precept teaching, we do a pretty good job of that in our churches. But how do we get them into church? And I believe it is this uh, word exhorted. It translated the word parakaleo. Parakaleo is a uh, compound verb. It literally means to call to one side. And I love the picture that that paints to me. I like to think of it this way. Discipleship is not a course going through information. Discipleship and friendship look an awful lot alike. So I, I, Ann and I have lots of stories of people that we've had the privilege of leading the Lord and discipling. And um, every one of those people, I know what the inside of their homes look like. They know what the inside of my homes look like. We have been friends. In fact, uh, what happens is if you disciple someone and they grow, they become partners. <laughs> and and it, 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 the relationship changes. It's so exciting. And so uh, rather than thinking in terms of, i got to get them into church, Think in terms of discipleship is a human-to-human relationship that builds a human-to-God relationship. And so 
befriend them, spend time with them. Um, church is not a building. Church is a group of people. So get other people in your church to know them. And before you know it, they're going to become a part of your family, and it's going to be a whole lot easier to get them to come and listen to training. Yes, sir? What was the, um, uh, the, the title that you gave this section, Building Bridges? Yeah, this, this is uh, Building Relational Bridges. Uh, uh, just taking those. Uh, and this, the idea here is that we're going to use these conversations to get into the gospel. We're going to use these uh, relationships, these human-to-human relationships, to help get them established into the church. So these are just concepts. Um, we're, we're going to now, I've, I've asked several of my friends, uh, to, to just give us some ideas. So if, if, if you're going to take notes, this is where you ought to take notes on. Uh, we're going to give you a baker's dozen, 13 ideas for, for pathways into the church. And these are all coming from different pastors. Um, I've asked Anna uh, to come and just give you a little bit. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Anna and I co-teach. Uh, she tells stories. That's her job. Uh, and uh, so I, I teach. This is what we do. And Anna says, here's what that looks like. And uh, so she's going to come and tell you stories about each of these guys and and how they have been using uh, the exchange in their lives, seeing people changed and saved. And uh, then we'll, in between each story, we'll have the testimony. Doing a little mic handoff here. Sorry. Here we go. Excuse me. Uh, the first story is from Matt Fagan. In just a minute, you'll see a video of him. But this, his ministry is so exciting. So he is, um, we've actually done the exchange at his church four times. So it's in Windham, New Hampshire. And the last time we did an exchange in Matt's church, it was It was just like there was an electric spirit because, I don't know, we probably had like 40 people there. And there were at least least six new believers sitting beside the people in the church who had led them to Christ. So you can only imagine just hearing those fresh stories of the amazing work that God is doing there in his church, and he'll explain some of that in a minute. I'm just going to give you, with each one of these, one really quick short story. This is my favorite Matt Fagan story. So it, um, there was a couple that ended up visiting his church, and the reason is because their daughter was in the Boston Marathon in 2013, and you remember what happened. She was, ex- they were actually watching on their, um, I don't know what their system was, and they knew exactly where she would be at each stage of the marathon. And all of a sudden, she's slow, and she doesn't make it where she's supposed to be because she gets an injury. Come to find out if she had kept on track, she would have been right where that bomb was when it went off. And that alerted her parents. And so her parents found Matt Fagan's church, and they began attending. And Matt got to know them, eventually invited them to do an exchange Bible study. And both of them accepted Jesus. And the next time we came to Matt's church, they were sitting there in the seminar. Jeff and I were just with Matt this past year, and one of the most exciting people that had been saved was um, the girl who was actually the runner in the marathon. One of the one of the women in Matt's church, Colleen French, had just led her to Christ using the Bible study. So Matt's just doing a great job. Sorry. 
Over the course of my time here, we've had Jeff and Anna come on three different occasions to help us train gospel people in the area of personal evangelism. So a few years ago, we devised a pathway to help get people into the church by using the exchange. When new guests come to our church, we encourage them to enroll in a five-week Welcome to Heritage class that is taught by my wife and I. In that class, we cover the history and the basic philosophy of our church. But in that class, we also have some of our members who are trained in using the Exchange Bible Study. And so the goal of the class is for the new guests to get to know our members that have been trained over the course of five weeks. And then at the end of that class, I encourage the new guests to continue with the member friends they have made and do the exchange as a four-week Bible study. Uh, this serves a couple of purposes. One, obviously, if a person does not know the Lord, there's a chance really to evangelize them. Uh, but in addition, if a person does know the Lord, and I, I think they do, I still ask them to do the exchange, and it helps them need to know that they've had a clear gospel presentation, and also that now they're being equipped to share the exchange with other people. Uh, this pathway has worked quite well for us. We've had a number of people do this and go through the exchange. It also serves to build a relationship with someone in the church for a new guest. In addition, uh, before someone joins our congregation as a member, uh, it's not a written requirement, uh, but recently we've been uh, ensuring that they have actually gone to the exchange Bible study with somebody else in our congregation. And what this does is it helps me to know as a pastor that, again, they've heard a clear gospel presentation. Uh, they've had kind of a one-on-one interaction with the gospel. But also to know that new members joining the church, that they are being equipped as well now with the exchange Bible study to be able to share their faith with others and their spirit of influence. So these are just a couple of ways that we have used the exchange as a pathway into our congregation. So the next story comes from Brad Stilley. He's in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan. Um, just, I think it was last week, Jeff and Brad had a conversation on the phone, and Brad was telling him of three stories of people that are either just have just been saved or in the process. So God is really using Brad. So, I mean, the first story I'm going to tell about him. Um, he was a police chaplain, and the fire chief got jealous. And he said, why are you spending all this time with the police officers, but you're not spending any time with firefighters? So Brad fixed that problem, and he actually started by working with the fire chief. He helped him. The man had trusted Christ as his Savior, but he he was living a rough life, and he needed assurance of salvation. So Brad helped him with that. Eventually, um, he was living with a girl. And Brad and Mari, Mari is Brad Stilley's wife, they invited this couple to do an exchange Bible study. They did it in their home, and I think they would do it Sunday nights after church. And this woman, the fire chief's girlfriend, trusted Jesus. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Mari's a pastor's wife. She loves people. She felt real comfortable giving the gospel at church, but getting outside of her comfort zone was hard for her. And this was the first time that she had led someone to Christ who wasn't from church or from her family. And I'm just telling you, it, it has it's not only changed her life, but it's really helped the church. If you were to meet this um, fire chief, 
Jeff and I were laughing about this. We'd forgotten about it, but he, he's just covered in tattoos. When he first came into Brad's church, he would always wear long sleeves. He didn't want anybody to see it. But I'll tell you what, as he began to be transparent, it just really has waked up that church. The other quick story I'm going to tell about Brad is one that I just, um, it's a, an in process. We call these pre-believers. We think God's at work. We know he is. So um, recently, not too long, I was about a year ago, Brad has a Hindu neighbor that moved into the neighborhood. Well, this Hindu neighbor was out um, trying to saw a great big huge tree limb with a little tiny tiny saw. Brad's like, I can help you with that. So Brad goes over to to his house and gets a chainsaw and comes back and makes quick a quick job out of getting rid of that tree gem, so tree limb. So that actually started the relationship with the Hindu neighbor. And um, he, Brad just wears his Christianity comfortably on his shirt sleeve. He has tried to witness to this man, but there's that hardness because of his, of his um, Hindu background. So not long ago, he just, the Hindu neighbor, was um, gone to India for 10 weeks. When he came back, he, he texted Brad and he said, meet me at the fence. So they met at the fence. He says to Brad, he says, Brad, I know you're not a mystic, but I'm just telling you, I keep having this dream night after night. And I see the church and above it, I see a cross. And he says to Brad, I just can't quit thinking about Jesus. Well, Brad is quick on his feet. And he said, well, I don't want to be corny, but Jesus can't get, quit thinking about you either. So he invited him to church. For the past five weeks, this Hindu neighbor and his family, specifically his two um, teenage children, have been coming to church. And after church, they're just full of questions as their Hindu religion is literally hitting right into the gospel. And I can't wait. Pretty soon, I think we're going to have a beautiful conversion story from, from Brad. Hi, my name is Brad Stilley. I'm the pastor of First Baptist Church in Wixom, Michigan. And we've been using the exchange now for several years as one of the ways that we're integrating people into church life here at First Baptist. So we do a couple of things. One, as part of our starting points class, which is a four-session class that integrates people into church life, we introduce the exchange and talk about its importance. And then we move right from that class into a four-week presentation of the exchange, which then leads into a uh, discussion on giving the exchange, which we do over a course of six weeks. So as part of integrating into church life, they go through the starting points series and then into 10 weeks of talking about the exchange and how to use it to evangelize. So then we also use the exchange as what we call stage zero of discipleship. So you can see behind me some of the resources we use for one-on-one meetings most of our adult and teen members are doing this on a weekly basis, one-on-one meetings, and all of them start with the exchange. We call it stage zero, and everybody begins with going through the exchange for four weeks as the beginning of their discipleship. Anyway, that's how we use it to integrate people here at First Baptist Wix. I hope that helps you. The next um, one is our pastor and son. It's pretty cool, isn't it, when your son's your pastor? So we just did the exchange seminar last summer in his church. And since that time, praise the Lord, he gets the glory. Twelve adults have been saved. And um, it's just 
it's waking that church up. So I, I'm just going to tell you one story. This is my favorite. So there's a uh, there's a man in Josh's church. His name is Jeff. Well, Jeff is an unbeliever at this time, and he took our course. So an unbeliever taking an evangelism course. And I remember we do role playing, and I would walk around the room, and I'd think, wow. He really knows the gospel, but he he had not accepted Jesus. So Jeff's for his job. He's actually a guard in a prison. And not long ago, one of the prisoners who was actually guilty of murder, what he as a guard had to take him to see his attorney. And whatever happened in that meeting was devastating to this man, and he was broken. And Jeff is thinking, how can I help him? And he's thinking, I'll give him the gospel. (laughs) Remember, he's not a believer. So he starts sharing the gospel with this guilty murderer. And as he's going through, he has this aha moment when he realizes the reason that he had not accepted Jesus is because he thought he was too sinful for Jesus. And yet he's witnessing to a guilty murderer. And right there in that prison, he accepted Jesus Christ as his Savior. Jeff and I were out of town. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Jeff and I were out of town, but we got to watch the baptismal. And we at our church, we clap. <laughs> when he went down, he's a big man. Like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and then the church just exploded in applause, just giving God the glory for his conversion. Hi, my name is Josh Musgrave. I'm one of the pastors at Calvary Crossway in Castle Rock, Colorado. I just wanted to share with you a few ways that we use the exchange materials and the exchange training in our church. I think the primary way that we use it is with people who are pre-churched, people that we've met at our workplace, people that we have met um, in our school for some of our teenagers that have done the training, uh, people that we've met as our neighbors. Uh, We actually have a really special relationship with a local restaurant that allows us to be able to come in and meet some of the people there and offer Bible studies for them to to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus or get to know Jesus for the first time. Uh, The second way that we use the exchange is with people who are new to our church fellowship. It it helps us um, understand as a shepherding team how we can walk alongside them, understanding their depth of understanding of the gospel. And for those who are attending our church for the first time and don't yet know Jesus, they're very quickly uh, understanding the importance of the gospel in our church and knowing who Jesus is and how to have a relationship with him uh, through that. It's actually been a wonderful way for people to deepen their relationship with Jesus. If a person comes into our church and they've already done the four-lesson Bible study, we will often begin to work with them through conversations with Jesus. It's been an incredible discipleship and soul-winning tool in our church, an opportunity for um me to be able to help walk through a new believer in how they ought to read their Bibles, or maybe a a believer who's known Jesus for a long time and how they ought to relate to Jesus through reading through and working through the book of John together. Um, One of the most impacting ways, though, that we have used the exchange materials in our church is just by instilling a passion for sharing the gospel in the hearts and minds of our people through the exchange training. Our goal is every person who is a member or becomes a member of our church is to go through the exchange evangelism training so that they understand how to be able to share the gospel and they begin to be bold in that. And some of the ways that we do that is by one, doing the training, and then we have a group in an app that we have for our church. You could also do this with a text messaging group. 
where we're often sharing prayer requests. Hey, I met so-and-so at work today. Will you pray that I give a, get an opportunity to a Bible study? Or, hey, I just did lesson number two about God's justice and God's judgment, and so-and-so was super convicted. Can you pray for his soul that, that he trusts in Jesus? It's a great opportunity for us to pool our excitement, and also if someone is down or discouraged about not being able to share the gospel, for us to be able to encourage them in that way. Uh, the, the exchange has been revolutionary for our church over the years, and um, we've seen a number of people come to trust Jesus, get baptized in our church, and then become faithful members of our, of our church through the exchange. The last one we'll share is Joel Mosier. Joel pastors in a suburb of Houston, Texas, and he's probably one of the most natural disciple makers you'll ever meet. Um, he actually helped Jeff write Chapter 5 of Giving the Exchange, where we teach people how to share the gospel. That chapter is how to develop authentic relationships with unbelievers. So several years ago, I was in, in Pennsylvania with um, Joel's wife, Tara, and she was having a ministry change, and she was really d disappointed. She felt like the ministry that she was involved in was just taken from her, and she was sad. And I just told her, I said, Tara, you are so hospitable, and you, you are so good to your neighbors. If you just start inviting them into your house and doing Bible studies with them and start leading to people to Christ, You'll have absolutely no regrets. And I'm just telling you, after that conversation, they moved right away to Houston, Texas, and the stories just started rolling in, not only from Tara, but also from Joel, many, many people that they have led to Christ. I'm just going to share a real quick story. Um, this, this is actually, it just happened. So there's a woman in that she was a, she was actually a teenager in their ministry and she was a she was a wild child <laughs> and she just eventually that family went away from the church but Joel and Tara just continually reached out to this woman her name is Allison so 10 years later now she's 27 years old she was living with a man and they had just had a baby and they had heard that at Joel and Tara's church they were going to have an Easter egg hunt so they brought their baby to the Easter egg hunt I wonder who ate that candy <laughs> anyway at, at the Easter egg hunt Joel and Tara again just really connected with them and they invited them to do the four lesson Bible study so Joel and Tara are texting us throughout this process so I'm going to tell you a few of the texts after lesson one, which is where we're talking about God's holiness, Allison says to them, hmm, I wonder if we should get married. <laughs> After lesson two, which is on justice, this is the very first time I've ever heard anyone say I loved this lesson. <laughs> Most unbelievers don't love that lesson. But her words were, I love this lesson and I cannot wait to lesson three. And then just Sunday on June 4th, we got a text message and both of these people had trusted Jesus Christ. And now... They're planning a wedding and a baptism. Isn't that super cool? Joel says this in one of his texts. It just was really encouraging to Jeff and me. He says this, doing these studies is like breathing oxygen into my lungs. I need it and I love it. Hi, my name is Joel Mosier. I'm the pastor of Christ Life Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And I want to give you quickly the three ways that we use the exchange Bible study at Grace Life. Number one, I use it personally when I'm out and about in our neighborhood. And uh, whether it's meeting parents at the bus stop, whether it's hanging out uh, at a grill, 
with my neighbors, whenever we get into deeper conversations, I'll just say to them, hey, I have a four-week Bible study that I think would really begin to address some of the questions. It's conversational. We can meet in our home over coffee, and you can ask questions, and it's, it's, I think you'd enjoy it. The second way we use it is with any guests that come to our church. I, when I meet up with them for coffee or follow up with them, and I begin to understand that they're not born again yet, I'll say, hey, to them. I'll say, hey let's sit down and do uh, this four-week Bible study, or I'll connect with them with one of our deacons or someone like that. And uh, you've seen wonderful uh, fruit from that. And the third way is kind of an evangelistic discipleship, almost hybrid. And that is, for those who walk through our new members class and maybe aren't clear on what the gospel is that they say they believe, maybe they are born again, maybe they're not, but we, we walk them through the four-week Bible study, and some are like, oh, man, this is so helpful to me. And then others are like, oh, I didn't realize I wasn't a Christian. And so we have found it to be helpful in, in all those ways. And so I, I commend it to you, brothers. And sisters. So, um, just a, a two more. These are from me. These are one of them we did in our church when I pastored. Um, the, the thought process behind this one was that God is drawing people to the Lord in in our neighborhoods. He, it, it is happening. And uh, the problem is that they don't always, uh, they're, they're not ever necessarily open the day I knock on their door. Does, does that make sense? And so uh, we uh, always tried to have at least four events. We did one around Christmas time. We did one around Easter. Uh, we did one around uh, Vacation Bible School and then came up with another one. So we had a Community Appreciation Day, just four different major events, and then would send out a postcard to our uh, target zip codes, uh, the area is just around our church and specifically thinking to ourselves there was never a time that we used that mass mailing that direct mailing uh, that we didn't have some guests come to church now listen i know getting people into church is not the same thing as getting them saved but it can be if you connect with those people relationally and then continue to work with them get them to do the bible study with you i would say that that probably 90 percent of the people that i personally led to christ in the years of ministry at, at, at our church were people that I met through the church, and it was all relationally connected. And then secondly, uh, we had a church, uh, I don't know if you guys uh, um, remember Brad Smith, uh, pastor of Bethel Baptist Church in Schaumburg. Uh, they had a large preschool, and they hired a preschool chaplain, and literally his job was to connect with the parents of those preschoolers and uh, uh, do exchange Bible studies with them. They led multiple people to the Lord uh, uh, through uh, uh, just simply targeting the people that are already utilizing the ministry. I know several of you are involved with Christian schools as well, and it, it works the exact same way. Let me just quickly, before we uh, wrap up, give you a couple of practical relational tools that I I think will just help you personally in being relational and in uh, connecting, helping your people connect with people around them. Number one, be observant. I mean, sometimes what we're looking for is common interest between that person and yourself. They say that a common interest is a, is, is like the building blocks of a relationship. And so you you, you just, I, I have a friend that I uh, had the privilege, he was an atheist, I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord. And, and I went to visit in his home because his wife was attending our church and he and I connected 
became friends, started having lunch uh, every other week or so uh, for two years. We connected over a simple observation. I'm sitting underneath of a giant elk head in his living room and ask him, Rob, do you hunt? And, and you know, that's, that's all it took because he then had to tell me where that big guy came from. I told him about all the big guys that got away. I'm pretty good at elk hunting, too. Uh, 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 Brother Tillotson said he's, he's hunted a lot, but not, not shot very many of them. Uh, uh, and, uh, and so um, we became friends through hunting. And then through that friendship, eventually led him to Christ. I believe that we as pastors really need to think this one through. Uh, I find that most pastors are good at talking. And if you want to get close to people, you've got to be good at listening. In fact, I would say this. If I were going to give you two communication tools that will literally change your ability to relate to people and get close to people, here are the two. Number one, learn to ask good questions. And number two, learn to listen well. You can take almost every conversation you're in deeper just by asking good questions. Jesus was the master of conversations. And as you read the conversations, that's why I called our, our uh, by book through the uh, book of John uh, uh, conversations with Jesus because if you read the conversations of Jesus you're going to see he used questions to deepen those conversations over and over and over I would love to encourage us I know in this world that we live in we are very very uh, opposed to the we- evil and wickedness in our culture and I get that But I just want you to know that you can, I mean, I I go out of the country a lot, and I've watched Americans make huge pofos relationally with people through not being observant of cultural issues. And I'm just telling you that as a culture in America changes, we can make faux pas and literally distance ourselves from people if we're not making the appropriate cultural adjustments. Now, I do believe that it's important for us to recognize we do not adapt cultural morals, but we can adapt to cultural changes. And so I, I, I would just urge you in your church to stop trying to be traditional and aim at being biblical. And in fact, I I talk to young pastors, they're making changes in their church, and I just want you to know, I can't hardly imagine ministry 40 years from now. I can't. I mean, it's just, it's beyond my capacity. They can't think of it any other way. <laughs> that, that's the way they think of it. And, and here's what they're doing. They're trying to ask this question. What does biblical Christianity look like in my culture? And that's the question every single one of us ought to be asking. And I think that it would be wise for us to begin to make some cultural, appropriate cultural adaption, uh, adaptations. And then um, I, I love this idea of creating w- uh, ways to meet unbelievers. Do you remember when Abraham's servant uh, went to look for a bride uh, for the, uh, the master's uh, son? And uh, by the way, I think it's a beautiful picture of us and evangelism. And uh, where did he go to look for prospective brides? to the well because that's where prospective brides are going to be and if you and I are going to find lost people we've got to go where lost people are and then lastly I really believe that our lives should be making people thirsty for Jesus Uh, think about this you can lead a horse to water 
but you can't make him drink. Do you agree with that? And in fact, I, I hear that concept all the time, man. You just can't make people believe. No, but you can put salt in the horse's oats. Then he'll want to drink. And I, I, I really believe this. Jesus is the water of life. We are the salt of the earth. And I believe God wants me living the kind of life that make the people around me thirsty for Jesus. And I, I, I love this. Jesus woos people to himself. I, I love the picture of Revelation chapter uh, uh, 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't push his way in. But he's also persistent and he doesn't go away. And I, I love that inviting uh, 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 stance that Jesus, the, the creator of the world, chooses to have. Come unto me, all you that are weak and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. So uh, it, learning how to live our lives in such a way that we make people thirsty for Jesus. I was planning to have time for questions and comments. If you have some, come and tell me afterwards, and we're going to quit. Thank you very much for coming. This has been the Proclaim and Defend podcast. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please subscribe and give us a good review. If you want to learn more about the FBFI, check out our website at fbfi.org or our blog, Proclaim and Defend, at proclaimanddefend.org. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on the Proclaim and Defend podcast.